Psalm 73. This week we did, um, we read the Psalms that were what's called wisdom Psalms. And this, these are ones by just expanding truth about God or back to God. And these, these were kind of amazing. And when you, when you read them this week, how many read them this week? Show of hands, accountability. Shame on half of you. All right. But for those of you that read it, as you read it, didn't these, some of them sound very like Solomonic or Jobish? Or, you know, it's just like that wisdom is great. And so when I was trying to prepare, this was a hard one this a uh, couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to figure out which one I was going to do. I, I was really torn because I wanted to do all of them. I mean, we could have, I mean, we, if you just look through the week, if you, the first one was just Psalm 15, it's almost just kind of like, this is what you should do as a, as a follower of Yahweh. And then Psalm 36, um, a few years ago, Third Day did a, a song, and it, it was based on Psalm 36. I was singing that. I was loving it. Maybe we should jump on that one. And then, you know, we did, we did Psalm 37, and that one is, is a really, really good one. But it basically was just like everybody dies. And I didn't want to be depressing, but, I mean, that is true. Except for Jesus, unless he, he, Jesus returns, that's what's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to die. And, I, you know, I could have talked about, you know, about death, about either the first death, second death, you know, or first birth, second birth. I jump into John 3 and talk about, you know, if you're, if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're only born once, you die twice. Never mind. Okay, so, and then we, I could do that one, but I'm not going to do it. And then 49, which was a really long psalm, but it's really good stuff, talking about God redeeming us from the grave. Even before Christ, there's there some messianic messages in that. But no, we're going to do Psalm 73. You know, you know why I decided we're going to do Psalm 73 today? Because it's an Asaph psalm. I don't know what it is about when, in our study of psalm since March. The Asaph Psalms have stayed, stood out to me. I mean, everybody knows David is writer of Psalms. Asaph wrote 12 of them. Okay? And it seems like every chance I get, I have been led to do the Psalms of Asaph. And so we're going to jump into 73 today. And I'm going to jump right into it. It's 28 verses. We're going to have read a chapter in Scripture as a congregation today. For those of you that didn't, this gets you off the hook. And I'll read it from the book in NIV. Here we go. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts, 
comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High, Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away. It's by terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you, and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Wow, what a great psalm! So, the, the way the psalm breaks out, it's really interesting to see. A couple things I want to point out before we dive into the scripture here is... The first thing, did you hear the word heart a lot? Yeah, Asaph, he talks about it. He mentions heart six times in this psalm. And by heart, he's talking about the means of one's person, a being or inclination. Six times he talks about the heart. And also, this psalm illustrates the results of allowing one's faith in God to be buried under self-pity. You see, why we consider this a wisdom psalm, but it could also be a psalm of confession. This is a... Asaph, if you remember, was in David's court. He was a songwriter. He was a strong leader. He wrote several of them. He was also known... As a seer or a prophet, this is a man who's a, known as a godly man, and he stands before his congregation, makes a song about where he is failing, where he he sees when he starts admiring the the prideful, the arrogant, the rich, the wicked. He sees that as sin is it somehow that he is not doing what he should be doing. So it's, this is a psalm of confession. 
So we have a psalm of wisdom, psalm of confession. It's also a lament. He's lamenting the fact that he was doing this. He's sorry about it. So he's this psalm of confession, psalm of lament. And he also talks about what's going to end up happening to the wicked or those that do not choose God. So it's almost imprecatorial, right? So all of these rolled into one. There's so much in to this psalm. And, okay, it's 28 verses. The first 14 is the confession of what he sees and, and how, you know, why do I even have any purpose? Why do I get any benefit from serving God when I'm going through some struggles, going through trouble, and it seems like those that are evil, they have, they're carefree. They could care less about God. They could care less about it, and they seem to be doing fantastic. Is, is there really some benefit with God? And so he's, he's sort of whining about it. And then, so the first 14 verses, like, and then the first, the next 15, verse 15 to 28, next 14 verses, Asaph takes his eyes off himself, eyes off the world, eyes off the arrogant and the wicked, and puts his eyes on God. And it changes everything about his pursuit in life. So let's look at this. That was just a rough overview here. So in verses 2 and 3, Verse 1, Asaph lays down, God is good. He's good to Israel, he's good. One of the things that's always found in the Bible never changes, God is good. Now, there may be saying that God isn't good because of circumstances they're doing, or they may be saying, he's not so good. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, what was the thing that Satan told Adam and Eve? He said, wait, you can't trust God. He doesn't. You know, he knows if you eat this fruit, he's deceiving you. He's not good. This is exactly what Satan is doing. And so, all throughout Scripture, we are reminded that God is good. Always good. God is good all the time. God is good, right? So, it's true. And so, first of all, Asaph lays that groundwork, and then he says, well, eh, my foot almost slipped. I, I started looking at an, in envy of the wicked. He doubts the goodness and righteousness of God because of the wicked. He feels that his doubt has been a sin and had almost caused him to give up his confidence and trust in the Almighty. He'd almost slipped from the rock of faith into the abyss of skepticism. Have, have, have you seen that? You have, they have people that have just, you know, you meet people and they, their faith is unshakable. I mean, no matter what happens, you know, God is good. I wish I could tell you I'm that way. But I sometimes like God. Are you are you are you good? I'm going through some struggles here. I'm going through some challenges here. 
You know? And I, and I get a little bit of skepticism. I get a little bit cynical. Oh, yeah, God is good. And, and, that, and that's a challenge. And that can be a sin. And this is what Asaph is doing here. He's, he's saying, you know what? I have this struggle. He's being vulnerable to the congregation. We see in this confession of guilt, he had gotten so weak in the faith that he'd almost fallen. And you know what? This, just beca- this comes just before victory. When you fight the good fight and get to the end of your ability to do something holy anymore, God takes over and you win. Sometimes God takes us to that point that we've tried everything and I got nothing left. And God says, okay, good, then I'll take over. We need to come to that point in our life sometimes where we, we've done everything and we got nothing and we need to cry out to something bigger, something greater than ourselves. And that's God and that's Yahweh. Verses 4 and 5, there's a problem that I greatly fear will come upon those of us who have, as I call it, prosperity gospel. If, if we just have a prosperity, well, you, you follow Jesus and everything's perfect. It's going to be great for you. You're going to have, you're going to have blessings. You're going to have health. You're going to have... You know what? When you first accept Jesus, all of a sudden you find out, ah! you get you get punishment, you get persecution, you get all kinds of things like that. And you, we cannot say by following God, it's going to make your life great. Because that's just not the case. It's not the case. And we should not do that. We should not be prosperity gospel. Sometimes the wicked prosper greatly and are in great health in this world. You can easily see how if we do that, if we say, hey, if you've tried Jesus or if you have Jesus, your Lord and Savior, everything's going to be great. There's going to be challenges. We need, we need to prepare our people. But in fact, <laughs> Jesus said, the world's going to hate you because of me. Right? He, he said that. My Bible says, in this world, in this life, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation. Here's what Second Timothy 2.12 says. If we endure hardship, we will, re- he, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Romans 8.17 says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If you are a follower of Jesus, sometimes God will allow stuff to happen to you, to challenge you, One, to rely more on him and then on your own abilities. And it will build up, strengthen you to be able to handle amazing things. That's what God does. He allows his children to go through sufferings and hard times 
to strengthen them. Because it's not just about here on this earth. It's for eternity. We want to be refined so that within our eternity self, we will have been gone through the fire. We will have been changed to be more like Jesus. Which is our desire. Which is God's desire for us. So what are you doing on a daily basis to help you prepare for eternity? I don't think it's getting good at Xbox. I mean, I really don't. And sometimes we get distracted. We get distracted distracted by the world. And we need to be preparing for later because when Asaph gets to this point, he's saying this, if all the blessings go to the sinner, why have I come to God? Asaph is putting blessings on trial here, as if blessings are why he came to God. All I can say is this is a dangerous attitude. God does not want us to become a believer because of the blessings we might receive. That is a shallow faith. If you are just following God so that you get out of hell free card, that's not a strong faith. It's not. But if we follow God because... He is God. He created us and desires a relationship for us. We don't want this to be conditional salvation. God wants our heart to be stayed on him, even if we face persecution. Look at the disciples of Jesus. You will find that they were persecuted for their belief. Some of them, like Stephen, were martyred for the sake of the gospel. When you come to God, we better not have any conditions attached to it. And this is what Asaph is addressing. This is what Jesus said about that. In John 15, when he was talking to his disciples in the upper room, before he was crucified, he said this, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world This is why the world hates you. So Asaph is confessing. He's showing that he is looking longingly at the blessings of the wicked. And then he goes to church. In verse 15 it says he goes to the temple. If we we look back at, at verse 15 he says this. 16, I'm sorry. 15, 16, 14, 15, 16, and 17. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. What he, what he was going to say about, he shouldn't, is it really worthy to follow God? He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. He, he went, during Asaph's time, this would have been the tabernacle, Located in Jerusalem, he's 
kind of whining, complaining, oh, I'm going through some tough times, and, you know, the wicked seem to be prospering. Should I really follow God? And then, then he goes to church, and he goes to the sanctuary, and he begins to look at God. He begins to worship God. And then all of a sudden, ding, wait a minute. This world is just temporary. I mean, if you, if you think about, okay, some of us have lived 50 years or more. We know at least two. <laughs> right? And that seems like a long time, right? Wow, 50 years. Okay, let's just say then there's some of us in this congregation that have lived a little more than that. I won't call anybody out. My catchel? I mean... But even in the length of time that he has lived, if you, if you think about it, in the, in the length of eternity, that's still just a drop in the bucket. It's just a drop in the bucket. So with God and him being eternal and having that relationship with him, you know, maybe the wicked should prosper here. Because that's all they're going to get. I shouldn't begrudge them, right? I, and, but do I want that just moment, truly moment of prosperity, of health, of wealth? Or do I want an eternity with the creator of the universe? This is what Asaph realizes when he enters the tabernacle and he begins to worship God. He begins to see the true picture. When he turned his back to the world and studied the teachings of God, he realized the temporary situation of the worldly. Can I tell you this is where relationship with God is so important. Because in relationship with God, you get exposed to truth. In the time as Asaph is, is looking at the wicked and their arrogance, at their carelessness in fearing God, He goes to worship God. He has that relationship with God. Because remember, he's going to the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is where God resides. His presence is there. So, he's no longer arrogant. This is probably right where this whole psalm is written. Before God. I don't want to be arrogant, God. I want to be humble. Just being with you is enough, God, because of your truth. This is where the relationship with God is so important. This is where intentional corporate worship is so important. This is where daily reading of God's word is so important. And this is where prayer time with God is so important. 
these are the things, if you're paying attention, that we as your pastors are trying to encourage you to do. We're encouraging, we're encouraging you to, to come pray. We're encouraging you to be in God's word. We're encouraging you to gather together as a corporate and to worship God. Because as that relationship builds, as that relationship with God, the strength, as you draw closer and closer to God, what the world offers is meaningless. It's worthless. If nothing else, it's fleeting. We sang a couple hymns. We sang, I know, one hymn today in worship. And that was, that did my heart good. And did you notice, I don't know if you noticed, but did you notice there was a pause in one of the songs? It's like, let me take my breath. And then we just stop for that pause. In your, in your reading of Psalms the last six months, do you remember Salah? That was the best example of Salah that I could find. We're in the middle of singing. We just, Let's just take a breath and think about God. Spend time. I love that. That was awesome. Like, that's Salah. But I've got another hymn that I love. I I won't sing it all. Actually, I won't sing any of it. Save that for John to do. But this is a, a hymn by Helen Lamel. Tell me if you recognize this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My friends, that is Psalm 73 in a short refrain. This is where Asaph got... He's confessing to his people. He's confessing to his friends. He's confessing to the other leadership of Israel. You know what? God is good, but I messed up and I almost believed the commercials. But then I got back to worshiping God. I began to seek his word. I began to pray to God and I began to see he's the way. And you know what? And all that stuff, all those people that turn away from God, they've got a destination. And it's not good. That final destiny is not good. But my destination is with God and with His Son for eternity. I mean, that should give you some blessed assurance. Right, John? Blessed assurance? Yeah but also should ignite you to tell others about Jesus. Because the way of the wicked does not end well. And he doesn't, God doesn't ask you for results. He just asks you to tell, to share, to encourage, to invite. 
And at the very end of the psalm, he says, I will tell all your deeds. You know what? All we're asked to do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to give testimony. To give testimony of the goodness of God. Why do you think we have testimonies every week? This is all coming. Oh my gosh, this, this is a concerted effort. Well, yeah. Jeremy and I talk about you guys all the time. And how can we can help you to guide you to have a relationship, a true relationship with Yahweh and with his son, Jesus Christ? That's our desire for you. All right, I'd like to pray. I'd like to send you off in prayer today. And I have gone, taken the time to find scripture to pray to you. So stand with me. What time is it? I'm going to pray this for you. But just remember, I'm also going to be praying for the cake that you guys are getting ready to eat. Okay, so that'll be the that'll be the blessing of that too. This is found in Ephesians three fourteen through twenty. This is Paul praying to the for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.